If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Mark, and we're looking at chapter 7. Oh, there you go, verse 14 to 23. Mark 7, verse 14 to 23. All right, this is God's word. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray again. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us now as we come to your word. Um, Lord, would your spirit descend upon us and illuminate this word to us. Lord, help us to see it clearly. And Lord, would you give us eyes even to see our own condition without the Lord Jesus, so that we might run to him for shelter and refuge. We ask all of this in his wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, so just before this passage, you'll remember that... Um, the Pharisees were involved in the discussion with Jesus and they got upset because they've, they've had this long line of traditions that they've followed. And they've noticed that Jesus disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. And they get upset. They say, well, well why aren't they washing their hands? And Jesus takes this opportunity, um, a well-timed opportunity to explain to them that it's not things that are from the outside that defile a person but it's what comes from the inside that defiles a person. And that word defile, if you're not really familiar with that term, just means unclean or, you know, filthy, dirty, someone who is um, sinful. So when Jesus is describing this to them, he's saying, you know, the foods that you guys are eating, they're not making you sinful. Things outside don't make you sinful when you put them inside. It's the things that are from the inside that defile you, that make you unclean, that make you dirty, that make you unworthy of standing in the presence of God. Now, to help us sort of understand um, how this problem happened, I thought I'd talk about our first parents, Adam and Eve. And um, you may remember in the garden when the Lord created everything, he created this garden, and inside of this garden, he created all of these trees. And he says to Adam um, in chapter 2, 16 and 17, he says, you can eat from every tree that is in the garden, every single one of them. And then he says, except you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of this on the day that you eat of it, surely you shall die. So what God has said to Adam is, if you disobey me, 
and eating from this tree that you're not supposed to. The consequence of you disobeying, the consequence of you being lawless, um, being a law unto yourself and abandoning what I have commanded you, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. So he's laid this out clearly for him. If you disobey, you die. If you sin, if you go against the will of God, the consequence is death. You remember in Romans 6, 23, for, for the wages of sin is death. If you disobey God, if you go against God, which is the essence of sin, is saying, I'm God and you're not God, the consequence is death. And so the opposite of that is if Adam obeys, if he listens, and if he follows what God says to him, follows this command, the consequence is not death, but it is life. And we know from Genesis 3 that life is not what Adam chose. He chose death when he disobeyed God and he ate from the tree that he was forbidden to eat from. Now, the problem here is that Adam can no longer stand in the presence of God. Adam had the opportunity to stay in the presence of God forever, but he forfeited that wonderful privilege by disobeying God. And now he is outside of the presence of God. In fact, they got kicked out of the garden. And if someone sins, if someone disobeys God, they are an unclean person and they can no longer be with God. And so that is the problem. Now, come back to this passage and we'll see some connections to that first story. So in this passage, Jesus talks about um, a person who takes things in from the outside, but also has things on the inside that come out. And he clarifies for us what, what a sinner is. A sinner is a sinner by nature. And this is made clear when in verse 15, <clears throat> at the end of that verse, he says that, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he repeats it. If you go down uh, to verse 21, sorry, verse 23, he says, all, th- all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, our relationship to Adam is we are his children. And because of what Adam has done as the representative for the whole human race, found guilty, every person after Adam is born into that guilt and shame and pollution. So Adam, as the representative for all of us, has polluted for us the human race, and we carry that pollution on today. So that by nature, we are a sinner. We are a sinner on the inside. And here's here's a question to think about as we go through this passage. Are you a sinner because you sin? Or do you sin because you are a sinner? I have a think about that. Which one, which one do you think is the true version? Are you a sinner because you sin? Or do you sin because you are a sinner? And in this passage, it's made clear that we sin out of being a sinner by nature. So we are sinners by nature. And if you sin, um, that is you being yourself. You're, you're just being who you are as a sinner, as a slave to sin and under the bondage of sin. Now, here's the problem. To be with God forever, 
remember Adam's situation, to be with God forever in his presence, to be accepted by God, Adam had to have obeyed God and then stayed with him. So he had to do some good works. He had to be righteous, and then he could be with God forever. And that is the only way to be with God. There is no other way to be with God other than to be perfect and to be fully righteous and to have done only good works, to have never done a bad thing. And now we see the problem that we have when we come to this passage. Jesus is calling every single one of you and, and myself a sinner by nature, someone who can only sin. Everything that you do is sin. Everything that you put your hand to is polluted because everything that you do comes out of the heart. And he's covered all of the bases as he's listed off all of these specific sins. He's covered everything that you could think, all of those evil thoughts, all of, all of that envy, covetousness, everything that you could think or feel, he's covered that off. Everything that you say, if, when you slander, all of those words that you say, everything that you think and say is polluted by the heart that you have. Not only that, but he goes on to all of these actions, murder, adultery. And remember, Jesus doesn't stop at just the physical murder and adultery. If you commit adultery in the heart by looking at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. If you hated your brother and, and you long for him to, to experience evil and, and wickedness, then you have murdered him in your heart. So anything that you could think, anything that you could feel, anything that you could say, and anything that you do is covered off in these passages. And Jesus is saying that this type of person can only produce this type of fruit. The person who is wicked in the heart can only produce things that are polluted by his heart. Every single thought, word, deed, and action comes from the heart. Everything that a person does. And I've explained it this way before, but um, if a person is a non-Christian and they sing the songs that we sang before, God does not listen and say, oh, how wonderful their voice is. You know, how, how privileged I am to have this person sing and serenade me with these wonderful worship songs. That would that, be a lie. A person who does not trust in Jesus, a person who is not righteous, can sing all of these songs that they want. But God will say, like he said in the Old Testament, oh, that, that, I wish that they would just shut up and stop singing. I wish that they would just close the doors to the temple so that they wouldn't come in and think that they're, you know, producing worship for me. All they're producing is noise because they produce it from a heart that is wicked. Now that's the human condition. And that's the problem that we face is to stand before God. You can't be any of these things, but you have to be perfect and righteous and holy. You have to approach God having done all of these good works. If you said to me, Dwayne, how can I stand before God? I'd say, you have to be perfect. You have to be righteous. Every single thing that you have ever done has to be perfect and righteous and in obedience to God from a heart that loves him and adores him and has affections for him. But Jesus says that does not describe you. The way that we are described are, are as people who have a heart that produces only evil things. An evil heart can only produce evil things and nothing else. Everything that they touch, everything that they put their hands to, everything that they say is polluted and tinted by their condition. That's the condition that Jesus says everyone is in. 
And what is the remedy for this? How do we fix this? How do we fix this pollution that we have experienced because of our first father and because of our nature? You know, Romans 5 says, for by the one man, the many were made sinners. So every single one of us represented by Adam, um, falling under his lineage, represented by him, wearing the same shirt that he does, standing before God is impossible. For by the one man, the many were made sinners. So that's the condition that we are. You might remember that famous verse in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says that the heart is the most deceitful thing above all. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so by nature, that is where everyone is. With a heart that will not come to God. A heart that says, I am God and God is not God. A heart that says, I will do whatever I want to do. And God just has to live with it. Now, what do you do if you're in that position? And Jesus is not speaking in hypotheticals. He's saying this is actually true of everyone that you have ever known. Any person that has ever been born shares this with us. We're all in the same boat with this condition. Every single one of us. And if we are to approach God, having done all perfect works, being fully righteous, if this is true, then that's impossible. You can see that. The good news is that we still have to approach God having done perfect works. But because we haven't done the perfect works, we have to rely on someone else who has. Do you remember in, in Jesus' uh, baptism, he says it in Matthew in, in verse th- chapter 3, verse 15. He's getting baptized, and he goes up to John, and remember what he says to John. He says, John, you're going to baptize me. And then John the Baptist looks at him saying, no, you, uh, you're going to baptize me. This is a baptism of repentance. You don't need to repent, but I need to. You, you need to baptize me. What, like, what's going on? Why do you want me to baptize you? And do you remember what Jesus says to him? Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus is saying there is a list of things that have to be accomplished. There are, there are ceremonial laws that have to be fulfilled so that I can stand before God forever and be fully righteous. And every single box that Jesus has to tick to fulfill all righteousness are all boxes that we can't tick. And so when Jesus goes and sees John the Baptist and he says, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he's saying, John, this is not a matter of me just wanting to go under the water and come up and look cool. This is a matter of me fulfilling all the righteousness that you cannot fulfill. John, you must baptize me because unless you baptize me, I will not fulfill all the righteousness. Therefore, I can't pay for your sins. John, this is a matter of eternity. This is a matter of life and death. I have to be baptized so that I can fulfill all righteousness. Now, the only way to cover the sins of a person who has only ever sinned in their whole life is with the blood of a person who has fulfilled every single one of God's laws and commandments. Now, when you think about yourself and you esteem yourself rightly, you would lump yourself in with this person who 
out of their heart only does evil things, only does wicked things. And the only way for you to be helped, the only way for you to ever stand in the presence of God is that you are perfect and righteous and have all of these works, but they can't be your works. They are the works of someone else. And they are, theological word here, imputed to you. They are credited to you. They are given to you. You didn't work for them. You didn't earn them. You didn't somehow muster up enough money to buy them. It's given to you. So Jesus takes on all of the sin that you have committed, puts it on himself, and then gives all of his own righteousness to you if you trust in him. And so to have this credited to your account, you have to be one who trusts Jesus. You have to be one who comes to the Lord and says, I'm not going to approach God on my own. Lord, I need you to be there in front of me. Lord, I, I, I trust you to take upon all of my sin and to give me your righteousness so that I can stand before a holy and infinite God. And that's the only way we can ever stand before him. So God will only accept perfect righteousness, but not yours, because you're not perfectly righteous. He only accepts the perfect righteousness of Jesus, his only son. And the only way that that is given to you is if you trust in him and believe in him. But here's the, another problem. A person with a heart that is described here in chapter 7 does not want Jesus to stand before them in the presence of God. A person who is like the person here in, in chapter 7 doesn't want to trust in Jesus. They would rather trust in themselves. In fact, they're, they're quite happy living in their sin. They're slaves to the sin, and they would rather be slaves to the sin than be slaves to righteousness. So this requires a work of God, even before you can come and trust in the Lord Jesus. The Lord needs to do what he did in Ezekiel. Do you remember? The, the, he talks about a stone, uh, a stone heart that needs to be taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. And it's only then with a heart of flesh that anything good can come out of it. It's only then with a heart of flesh that you can actually trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have two problems this morning. One, you were born in this nature where you cannot come to Christ and you don't want to come to Christ. And then if you did want to come to Christ, you have to come to Christ and trust in what he has done and not what you have done. One, a person doesn't want to stand before God. They don't want to be with him. Two, even if they did, they couldn't stand before him because they're not righteous and holy. So God has to go to work in you this morning. If you are this person, first, he has to transform your heart, replace it with a new one so that you would come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he and his righteousness would be credited to you so that you can actually stand before God. So it's not the things that you eat that make you evil. We are evil. We are sinful by nature. That is who we are. That is embedded in us. We have been polluted by sin, every single part of us. And what we need is for God to transform us so that we can actually come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of all of these blemishes, to take care of all of these sins, and to actually fulfill all the righteousness that we could never fulfill. Um, 
that's where you have to be. I, I, I can speak confidently and say that every single person here, at least at one point, is this person. Every person in this room is a person who has a heart that is sinful and will only do sinful things. Do you know which one you are? And have you come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has he done a work in you so that you can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, I pray that you find no comfort and that you find no rest and that you find no peace in your sin. But instead, God would disturb you um, and that you would be so uneasy about where you are so that you would come to trust in him. Everyone understand? Everyone understand that passage? Um, I hope you do because um, you need to you have to come to Jesus and I know you won't come unless he gives you a new car, a new heart and um, when you come to him you abandon everything that you have ever relied on. You abandon all of those, you know, if you've ever kept your church attendance or you ever kept your Bible reading or, or memorizing, you, you're never going to depend on all, any of those things. You're going to come and depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're not going to depend on ministry involvement. You're not going to depend on how well you raised your kids or how badly you raised your kids or, or how good you are at work or how good you are at not swearing. You, you throw all of those things away and you say, I trust alone in the Lord Jesus Christ to cover all of my blemishes, to cover all of my sin, to cover all of my spots, to cover all of my pollution. Because no one else can shelter you from the wrath of God except for Jesus Christ. If the wrath of God was to fall now from heaven, there is only one shelter that you can stand underneath that will actually protect you from the wrath of God to the point where not a single drop of the wrath of God will fall on you. And that is to stand under the Lord Jesus Christ and his shelter. So you abandon everything that you, that you ever trust in and you trust in him alone to secure you and to keep you safe from the wrath that is to come. So make sure that you're there and make sure that you are under the shelter that only the Lord Jesus provides and that you have abandoned any self-pride, any you know, any deceit that you self-deceived notion that you can stand out in the open, you can't stand out in the open. So find shelter in Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, we see there in Mark chapter seven that you, gather all of these people around and you say to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. And our Lord, as you declare that to us and as you shout that out to us this morning, Lord, help it to be true that we would not only hear you, but understand. Not only understand, Lord, but be so affected in the emotions, um, so affected in the will that we would turn and run to you. And we know, Lord, that that is only possible if you give us a heart that would hear you and that would turn and that would run and find shelter in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, save us from any 
any confusion when it comes to our condition. Um, as we remember David's psalm, that he was born in iniquity and his mother conceived him in sin. We know that that is true for us. Lord, save us from any confusion that thinks that we have some good in us that will turn to you by ourselves without your help. And Lord, would you help us to abandon ourselves so that we could fully trust in your work and in your provision. And Lord, we're so grateful for a savior that is so complete that could actually finish his work. And Lord, we thank you that his work on the cross is so powerful. Lord, that there on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We're so thankful, Lord, that he absorbed every single sin that we have ever committed in thought and word and deed. And Lord, we know that no one else could bear that burden for us except for him. And Lord, we thank you that he wasn't finished there in taking away all of our sin, but that he imputes to us, he gives to us and credits to us his own righteousness so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, we're so thankful, Lord, that the one who was never under the curse became a curse for us so that our curse could be lifted. Lord, help anyone here this morning who is in danger of Satan sweeping in and taking the seed from them. Um, Lord, help this word, help your word to stick, help your word to sink into the heart so that people would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus. Lord, if anything good is to be done this morning, we know that it's your sovereignty and your grace and your mercy that will accomplish it. So, Lord, accomplish it. Be pleased, Lord, to save people this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.